Hello, my friends. A quick update on LeaderBits. We are just wrapping up our first round of funding so that we can expand and help as many technologists as possible. I'm so excited with how this has all come about and what I get to wake up and do each day with my life. We are helping individual contributors become team leaders. We are helping new CTOs become seasoned CTOs. And if you want to improve yourself or your team as a technology leader, we can help at leaderbits.io. I recommend you try it for three months so that you can see the results for yourself. Now, I am really excited because today we are talking to Ryan, the CTO of Glassdoor, and we discuss learning other dimensions outside of technology, why trust is one of the most important things at the senior level, and how Ryan spends his day empowering people, gathering information, and getting something done for himself. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. And now we're here today talking. Brings us here. That's why we're here. So uh, how does your day start? What does your day look like? My day. uh, I try hard to make sure my day starts with 30 minutes on my own so that I can kind of do a quick catch up looking at some metrics for the day to like kind of see how the performance of the site and the business is. I also... uh, I'm I'm a big organizer of my day. So I start by looking at my to-do list. So every morning I kind of map out what I'm trying to get done. I look at my calendar and see how much time I have. And then I try to come up with my goals of what I really feel like I'll be able to get done independent of the meetings where I'm, you know, mostly focused on supporting other people. So I kind of start with that and then just check through, you know, any urgent emails that I need to get to. I love it. I, I have the same similar philosophy. I call owning my morning. So I usually start my morning with, with a run and then I list out exactly what I want to accomplish today. And then I figure out how to get that done in between the schedule that's already there. Like I've got all my normal stuff, but then what's like the one thing that I'm going to do today that's going to drive myself and the business forward. That's aside from all the other stuff that I have to do. Exactly. Yep. That's very similar strategy. And I usually, I actually usually have two to-do lists. I have my strategic to-do list, which are often a little more lofty and longer term kind of things I want to get done over the next, not super long term, like over the next week too. And then I have, I translate those into like, these are the things I'm actually going to try to get done today. And so has this served you well? Is this something that's more recent or have you had this all the way like back in 2007 when you first started? No, I've, I've had it for a long time, my career. I mean, it started off in the early days with like sticky notes, like all around my window and I would like kind of organize them every morning um, and then to notepad and then to Evernote. So the technology has evolved as I have uh, adapted, but, but the strategy overall has stayed the same. You're, I'm a fan of Evernote too. That's what I use. When did the sticky notes start? Uh, it started, my f- first job in the Bay Area was Hotwire, a, t- a travel company. Uh, and it started then. It started, you know, and I felt like I had, you know, several things going on at one time. And so trying to keep it all straight in my own head was probably harder to do. And so, I, you know, to get organized and stay structured, um, I, that, that was my path. Awesome. So, so you start your day, you organize. If you were to take a pie chart of how you you spend the day, like the three big areas that you focus on, what would that look like? Think for a moment on that. Um, certainly, one part of it is empowering other people. So I kind of look at my day and think about like these are meetings that I'm there to help. You know, I've been a classroom for a long time, so I have deep domain knowledge about how our product works, how our technology works. Uh, I'm a decision maker to help empower teams. So I, that's a big chunk of it, I'd say, um, is looking at 
my day in meetings and that, like, like my role in that meeting is to help empower those people to go off and get the things done that they need to get done for the day. The second thing is information gathering. It probably goes in the other direction. It's, it's about me trying to make sure I understand the health of our business, our organization, our technology stack, you know, different components. So it's me trying to stay connected and informed enough so that I can, am able to make those decisions. And the third part is probably you know, the part where I try to kind of hold for myself, uh, which is trying to get something done. And that something done could be you know, that we're doing performance reviews, it could that I need to spend time on, it could be that I've got to think about, uh, you know, a, a strategy about how we're advancing our machine learning organization, it could be whatever that something is that I'm trying to think about for myself, that's kind of my own time. So I think those would be the three pieces. Yeah, the thing we were talking about earlier, the one thing you really want to get done. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. That empowering people, that's unique. I haven't, I haven't uh, had that specific advice given yet, or that um, pie chart slice given yet. I like it too. It really stands out to me. So a little bit about your career and how you ended up at Glassdoor. Like you started at Hotwire, then you were a director of engineering and now you're the CTO of Glassdoor. Tell me a little bit about how that evolved. Yeah. Uh, so kind of stepping back a little further, my first role out of school uh, was at Motorola, uh, which was really interesting. I worked on radio systems for police and firemen. Um, oh, cool. Saving lives. Saving lives. And so what was really different about that um, was first super, super high quality software, like bugs mean lives, you know, so you needed it to be super fault tolerant. The second big thing there that was a really, really huge company. And so two interesting things I had to learn from that is I didn't like either of those components, honestly, not that I don't believe in high quality software, but the level of uh, efficacy, you know, quality that you need to put into something like that versus, you know, web technologies um, is very different. And you still, of course, need to focus on quality, but and also the really big company thing felt like I was touching a very small box of the entire infrastructure that we were building. And I didn't really have a, it didn't feel very connected to me. It didn't feel like I actually had an impact in a meaningful way. So, which did lead me, I took a year off. I, I was a volunteer teacher for a year. Um, and then, then I, you know, that was when kind of the dot-com bubble was kind of going up um, and I wanted to jump in. And, and so then I moved to the Bay Area and joined Hotwire. Hotwire was a really wonderful experience. Uh, it was a startup. They hadn't launched when I joined. It was about 30 people when I joined. And, you know, I had the pleasure of kind of going from like a pretty entry-level software engineer to leading the team. So kind of grew along that. Uh, in some ways, out of, out of necessity, like I kind of got dropped in the deep end, you know, within a few months as being a manager when, you know, I was really early in my career to be stepping into that level. But it was just because it was such a competitive market. And I kind of had some of the organizational skills and some of the people skills, I think, to kind of stretch beyond, you know, just writing the software. And it was okay at the software side, at least. Uh, so that that kind of kind of created the path for me um, into leadership at Hotwire. But it was a great experience there. Uh, Expedia is kind of indirect. We got acquired by a company called IAC, but ultimately um, that Ex Expedia was a part of that, Expedia, the travel business. Um, Robert Homan was an early engineer at Expedia, um, and he came down and became the president of Hotwire. So that relationship with Robert Homan, who is the CEO of Glassdoor, um, is kind of what led me to Glassdoor. So Robert knew, and I knew each other from that experience. had a really great appreciation and respect for him. Uh, so when you know, he came knocking for the opportunity at Glassdoor, it, it made sense. I had a, a brief startup in between um, Hotwire and, and Glassdoor, but it was uh, not very impactful. What was it? Uh, it was called EasyRes. Uh, and they're, they're still around. They, they rebranded the Switchfly. Uh, they were another travel business. Uh, it was interesting. I mean, I learned things in that experience, and not, not to be dismissive of it. I, I, you know, all of the experience I've gone through, I feel like I learned from, which is important. But it was 
uh, a travel business that has still supports a lot of customers that are white label solutions. So they kind of power other travel websites. So not many people know their brand because they're behind the scenes kind of brand, but it wasn't a good natural fit for me. So when you, you got thrusted into leadership out of necessity, but you had some of the skills, what were some of the, or at least one of the big takeaways as a new leader? So you become this leader, you have this path of leadership, and then you instantly, uh, like a child learning to walk, you fall, right? You figure it out. But what was, what's one of the lessons that still stays with you from that transition? Yeah, I think the very first thing that's hard for many leaders, many leaders get put, I think, into the leadership role based on their abilities and to be successful as an independent uh, individual contributor. Um, and they're very different and you can't control it all. You know, the big difference is an individual contributor, you control everything in your, in your purview, you know, completely. And as you start to become a leader, you need to, you know, transition that to kind of help figure out, you know, how to give advice and coaching and feedback to someone to, to do it. Um, but knowing that you got to give them the ability to do it in their own way. And it's not going to be exactly the way that you do it. And I think that was the thing for me, you know, I have a controlling personality um, that I kind of had to fight against in that role. And I've certainly learned to manage through that. But, you know, that ability to allow for someone to take a different approach that you may not even think is as good, but that's kind of allowing that person to learn through their process, um, I think is really important. And sometimes they turn out to be a better solution than, you know, what you had in mind. So you kind of got to uh, give people that room. That was a hard thing, though, for someone that's got a controlling personality. Right. It's like we sit there all day and we command the machine to do as we say, and then we have to go interact with humans. <laughs> it's, exactly. like, it's like, it's, yes. uh, we develop and that. They don't work that way. No, they do not. My wife could tell you about that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, well, certainly I, as a parent, I can tell you about that with your children. You know, you, you learn it in much more significant ways. Oh yeah. Right now I've got a 11 month old that's uh she's in the walker. And so she's running around making the, like going, ah, and like chasing the dogs and she'll, you know, ram my feet or the wall or whatever. And I'm just like, you're this machine learning algorithm that's very new. <laughs> you're this very V1 AI type situation. I'm like, I know you love me, but I can't wait for you to make the connection between the pain you caused me ramming into my <laughs> ankle and the fact that you love me. <laughs> but it's a pretty amazing process to go through. My kids are eight and 10 now and it's, it's a joy and, uh, and challenging all at the same time. What's, what's the popular game? Like what's going on with the technology around that age? Oh, the big fight in my house right now is uh, my son is 10 and he is desperate to get Fortnite. Uh, oh. And we're not quite ready to give our kid a game that is, you know, ultimately about survival and killing other people. Um, so we haven't, uh, that's, that's the main fight in our house. He, what he really likes that he plays is Roblox. Um, Roblox is cool because you can actually create your own game. So he went to camp and actually was coding and building his own games. Um, and it's very engaging with friends. So it's it's not a fun game to play by yourself so much, but if you engage with your friends, it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I was, I was driving up to another city and I saw uh, a banner outside of this, you know, convention center that said like Fortnite competition. And, I, and it looked like a video game character almost. And so I looked it up and I just learned about Fortnite existing a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a hip new thing. Yeah. It's really, it's really, uh, taken off. And, um, I've, uh, uh, a cousin staying with us for the summer and he plays it downstairs. So it's kind of unleashed that onto my son. Who oh, would love no. to be a part of it. He's yeah. sneaking downstairs, <laughs> look over the couch and watch him play. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. But that's really cool to hear about the, the Roblox, uh, you say camp, they learn to play, learn to make their own video game and customize it. That is awesome. That type of stuff was definitely not around in the, you know, early 90s, late 80s when I was 
you know, coming about. And so that's, that's really cool to hear that it's so accessible now. It is. And, 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 you know, they're doing it in ways that is fun to them, you know, so they're kind of learning, like, you know, you don't tell them that he's learning in the process, you know, like he's learning in the process, but he's having fun with it the whole way through. Right. So what were the early days like at Glassdoor? You said, um, you didn't say, I know that you're there early, right? And what, what about three people when you started? Yep. Yeah, and, it was from the very beginning. And now how many? Uh, we're about, I think about 750, I believe. So yeah, what's so that, what's that been like? Yeah. You know, I, I kind of think of Glassdoor as kind of going through a few phases. Uh, you know, there were the super early days, um, where it was all about kind of making sure we built a product that actually fit, you know, it actually did something and met the need of a user. We weren't focused on monetization. You know, we really focused on the user-generated content of, of Glassdoor. We have reviews and salaries and interviews and photos and benefits information, all that rich content that helps if somebody really understand what it's like at a company. Um, you know, it was making sure that that was the right information and that actually was helpful to people as they're in their job-seeking experience. So that product fit was the very first phase. And because we weren't a monetization engine at that point, we had to stay really lean you know, and, and small to make sure we were being cost-effective um, as a business. So that, there was a long period of that. I think we once we established the fact that we had found a product fit, uh, I think phase two was scale and monetize um you know so scale in terms of you know the product offering to consumers and continue to make sure that we're evolving and, and innovating uh but also make sure we layer in the monetization engine into that and that was really a you know a, a very difficult thing there's a, when you go through the, the the life of a company i think you know especially with successful that startup days the kind of people you need there are often more kind of storm the beach kind of personalities um and as you transition the personality types change you know like i don't quite love this analogy but it becomes a little bit more policeman than the than the soldiers kind of attacking the beach um that you know there's got to be a lot more structure and rigor to make sure that you're you know creating the right end results and so kind of we went through that phase and i feel like what i'm really excited about is we're kind of going through the third phase of glassdoor right now which is you know we recently got acquired by recruit we now have a great partnership with another great job site indeed that we're working closely with and you know i'm really really excited about where that's positioning for this future and that it it's really you know setting us up to be empowered um to to innovate and to grow the business with the support of the you know the, the larger company around us so does Re recruit owns uh did they you said they bought you yes yeah so do they also own indeed they do. So Recruit is this very large uh, Japanese uh, holding company that owns several hundred businesses, um, one of the largest of which uh, is Indeed. Um, and so Indeed for us has always been one of the big competitors that we've been fighting, uh, you know, to eventually hopefully catch and beat. Uh, and now it's transitioned to them being a partner, which is really fascinating. That is, isn't it? I, I actually have a job posted on Indeed. I have like two jobs posted on Indeed right now. I see those <laughs> emails come through all First, day. make sure you post them on Glassdoor as well. All right. Um, so I'll, I'll post them on Glassdoor as well. Uh, so tell me a little bit, and here's, this is, this is one of the reasons why I'm really excited to be talking to you. Because in my mind, I didn't know Glassdoor was jobs. I knew Glassdoor is the place I go if I want to sneak peek on some salaries and see some reviews. So were you always jobs? Is jobs something new? Can you give me some insight to that? Yeah, so you know, in the very early days, we we didn't have jobs to begin with. Um, we were pretty confident that in some way jobs would be a big part of the monetization engine. Um, the users that we were trying to attract were job seekers that really wanted to understand what it was like to work at a company, um, so that they could make an informed decision about whether they wanted to join that company. So 
pretty natural extension that, you know, not just having the user generated content, but actually having the job opportunities and kind of being able to, you know, the, the thing that we're really focused on now is being able to marry these two assets together. Um, so we have a great amount of jobs inventory. We crawl the entire internet to have as you know many jobs as we can possibly find um, to, to make it so it's easy for a single user to find any job that they would possibly want. Uh, and then we marry that together with our user generated content. So, you know, a job seeker doesn't just have to look at a pretty flat job description and kind of make a guess whether they should apply or not. They can be a really informed candidate that really understands, you know, that this is the kind of company, the culture, this is, you know, that's going to pay what I, what I need to, to be successful in my life that way. Um, it's got the career opportunities or whatever things matter to you. You can understand that by merging those two, two assets together. Oh man, I love it. I'm going to spend some more time on Glassdoor this afternoon. <laughs> Sounds good. You guys must have some crazy traffic and some unbelievable challenges with engineering early on as you you scaled and and grew and started to get all this attention and you were right there at the forefront of that right yeah yeah so like give me an idea of like how many requests are coming is it like mind-boggling amounts oh wow we don't actually look at the individual like HTTP request level yeah uh, so i don't know if i could tell you I and mean, i know you know the numbers we, we have about 60 million active users that come to glassdoor every month um that's a lot. It's it's uh, an estimate number, more than half a, a billion pages a month. Um, I know it's more than that, but I don't want to give like a false number. So I, yeah, it's, no. it's a lot of traffic. Yeah. That's unbelievable, man. Well, congratulations. That's like so cool. If you go back and talk to yourself, you know, <laughs> years oh, it's, ago. it's funny to think of like the reports I got, you know, some of the reports I've literally been getting for a decade. And so the same reports where I look at visit numbers, you know, from the early days to the visit numbers now and like, you know, a big day then versus a big day now. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting. No, I feel that same way. Like with the podcast, like watching the listeners yeah, grow, exactly. I, I was at, uh, a stadium or a concert and I Googled real quick about how many, it was like, big stadium and I googled real quick to see how many people could fit in there and it was about 70,000 and I go I said to my wife I said you won't believe this like you see how many people are here right now watching this I was like this is how many people listen to the show like if we put them in a stadium like this is what it would look like and it is just mind-boggling right yeah. like to be able to see them all and to have that impact you know I mean one of the things I get most excited about and one of the reasons that brought me to Glassdoor and keeps me here is that you know we're having, I, I believe and hope we're having a very positive impact on people's lives in terms of helping them find, you know, I mean, for you, hopefully career advice or, you know, help get better understanding of how to be successful in the role for us, actually helping people find the right job opportunity. But I feel really, you know, excited to be a part of a company that's, you know, trying to really help people in a meaningful way. One of the questions that I did get from the audience was about prioritizing product roadmap, right? So a lot of our listeners are either CTOs, new, existing CTOs, enterprise. And then I'd say about 60% of our audience is engineers, leaders, lead developers that want to be, move up higher in the um, management technology chain. So prioritizing roadmap is obviously something you have to do in order to have success and to get to where you are. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I, mean, I, th I think one of the things that depending on the phase of the company, uh, it, it evolves. But by and large, one thing that it holds almost always true is focus. Uh, you know, make sure you make big bets. What's really easy, I think, to happen is that you you kind of see, well, I need to do something, this thing over here, and I need to do this other thing, and I need to do this other thing, and I need to do this other thing, and you've got 10 different things that you're trying to accomplish all at once. And so you're doing none of those 10 things particularly well. Um, so, you know, really trying to create the focus on the, what's the one, two, or three things that you really need to do to make your business, you know, your, your users successful. Um, 
you know, trying to focus, trying to create that um, is probably one of the most important things. The second thing is evolve the technology at the same right pace. You know, like I'm not a believer in over-engineering. You know, I, I think we we made a lot of choices early on in Glassdoor to make sure that we didn't over-invest in the technology. But as we evolved, we needed to start to make those investments, you know, to make sure that we were scaling with the business and make sure you advocate to make sure that that's, you know, that technology evolution is happening along with the business evolution. And don't let either one lag too much. Everyone knows the term tech debt, you know, like don't allow that tech debt to build by kind of, you know, focusing too much in one direction or the other. I like that. I like the the first part, we, it was like summarized, like less is more, right? Let's yeah. put, let's take away the total number of objects and instead just condense our focus down on these one or two things that are going to push the business forward. That'll be like the theme of this, of this chat, right? <laughs> I think ultimately, particularly if you're really early stage, like, you know, there's usually one or two things that is really the differentiator for what's making your product stand out against the market. And you got to find those things quickly and then exploit it by investing heavily in it. Oh, I love it. I see when I added you on LinkedIn right before the show. Um, so I'm not upset that you didn't accept. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, so but when I did click on you, because I like to see the face of the person I'm talking to, you know, it, uh, I was like, oh, this guy looks awesome. Like real cool person. And, and so I saw that in your signature, you know, we're hiring, right? So like we're always of the hiring mentality. And I noticed that some of the best companies always have that, right? Because they're always attracting great talent because they're always growing because they're always doing the right things. <laughs> and yeah. then I, I also uh, checked out, you had a YouTube talk about mistakes when hiring engineers. And so I was curious about what you look for when you're hiring engineers and then any, any advice you have on developing like a culture of quality. Let's see, so first and foremost, just some raw smarts. I mean, you know, it, it's it's easy to kind of look in different directions, but you you know to think about the, the other aspects that, that matter. But there's nothing that you know addresses if you know just raw horsepower and ability to to to, to create results for your business um, by being a, a smart engineer. So that is the probably the hardest thing. Uh, the second thing though that I think stands out really close to it is making sure that it's a collaborative you know team oriented like can work well with others kind of personality uh, and I, I imagine I said this and I recall that talk but I don't remember what I said it but I imagine I said um, you know a common mistake for us has been hiring really really smart people um, that just can't interact and play well with others you know whether that be an ego thing or just be that they just can't relate very well with other people but that is a really common thing so focusing on that very heavily I think matters um, and focusing on someone that has passion. You know, that passion can come in different ways. It could be passionate about technology. It could be passionate about what the product offering is. Maybe both, ideally. That'd be great. It could be. But they just need to have something that kind of, they've got to have their own internal drive and excitement that kind of keeps them going. Like, it's, it is my job. It's our leadership's job to, to create a vision and inspire and motivate people. But there's only so much we can do if it doesn't kind of burn deep within you on its own. So I'd say those are kind of the three things I focus on. Got the fire in the belly. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm the type yeah. of person that I don't know why I'm so pumped up and motivated to do something, but I just am. But isn't it fun to work with other people that are like that too? Oh, I mean, yeah. besides it being good because they create results, but it just creates energy and you want to work with people that kind of bring that energy into the office. So when you get there, you're like, man, today I'm a little bit tired, but that dude next to me is fired up and he's kind of bring, um, it's, it's, you know, bringing that over to me. Yes. And you diversify your energetic balance by, that was a weird phrase, but <laughs> if you have a bunch of people who are who have that fire in them, and then 
one can be down and have an off day and you're going to be way up versus if you've got six people who are low and that one person's always drained because they're always trying to pull everyone else up. Yeah. I know that experience. So you guys have uh, an excellent culture because you have awareness of that. So you obviously are looking for that. And so you'd say at your, you've done a great job of finding those people, those passionate individuals. We've certainly tried. I mean, we worked hard and I, I do think we have a really talented group that I'm really proud of. Uh, and it makes, you know, there's lots of things that make me motivated to want to be a part of Glassdoor for a decade. Certainly a really high up there is that I work with a bunch of people that I enjoy and, and uh, feel good to learn from and grow from. So when we talked earlier about your first venture into leadership, right, becoming, going from individual contributor to team lead, when they make that transition at Glassdoor, how do you resource them? How does that process take place? You know, I mean, one of the things that we always try to do is we promote people and grow people, regardless of the level, is kind of make sure that we're setting them up for success. Um, and a part of that is first, honestly, making sure that they're almost doing the job before we promote them into it. You know, it seems in some ways you could say it's almost unfair because we're not promoting them in a time. But it's like, I'm totally confident when we put someone into that next level that, you know, they're more or less doing that job, you know, um, already because and, and we continue to and we do that by continuing to give people challenges, you know, any level any company you're in, regardless of the role, I, I feel like it's really important to always be challenging yourself. You know, that'd be another piece of advice I would give anyone. Um, you just, you've always got to make sure that you're being challenged and growing. And so we try to make sure we're doing that with engineers as they're progressing. And so we're challenging them into that next level already before they even step into it. And so then you're really confident. So that's the first part. Um, the second part, of course, is, you know, making sure that they've got a good mentor, you know, like if you're, anytime you're taking on new challenges, you're not going to be perfectly successful. Um, and so you need to have someone that's there to help you know, catch you when, when you make a mistake or to give you the advice you need to kind of get you ready for it. So when you're looking at like, let's say your whole organization, right? Cause you're a senior leader there and you have, you know, maybe a direct team, but you you're interacting organizationally wide. Right. So what is one thing that would stand out to you that someone would be, you know, exceptional or high potential that they would be, you would flag them mentally as showing signs of a good leader, leadership qualities, what's, what's one thing that would jump out to you? I think um, probably the first thing that comes to mind is influence. You know, the ability to kind of create results uh, through influence. So it doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you, a leader isn't an authoritarian person that kind of comes in and says like, hey, well, I'm the boss, so you've got to do these things because I said so. A leader is someone that, you know, creates in different dimensions. It could be because they're so strong techno technically that people around them want to learn from them and grow from them. And so they start to create influence that way. It could be because they're just really inspiring, motivating people that are like always have that positive energy we're referring to that kind of people gel around. It could be because they have great product insights and they have great thoughts about like where to help take the product. And so they're influencing the product team, but having some way to influence beyond just you know, here's the box that I need to, here's the piece that I need to code today to build, you know, my part. Um, but they're starting to drive influence beyond their themselves. That's, I think, probably the most, most clear attribute to identify leaders. I love it, right? Because, and I, and I like uh, how you addressed the influence and the concept that it's not a negative word, right? And, and so often people say, oh, influence, they, it's, a lot of people have a negative association with it. But it's not. It's your ability to communicate effectively and sell your vision on on how you see the world and then get getting people to buy into that vision. Yeah, exactly. So for new CTOs, one of the common questions I get is about act, interacting with their peers at the C level because it's it's 
there's not a whole lot of content on CTOs and technology leadership in general. There's even less content about the part that people <laughs> don't talk about in writings in public, and that's interacting with your peers. So what sort of lessons or insight do you have as far as like interacting with your CEOs, CFOs, this, those, uh, your peers? I think a couple of things come to mind. First, you know, as I talk about, you know, related to like always be learning, one of those things you have to learn is to learn other dimensions outside of technology. So don't exclusively be focused on learning technology. For me, that came up, you know, as I was evolving um, into a director role, I took a couple of business classes. I took an accounting class and I took a marketing class. Um, and I can't say I uh, connected as much with the marketing material. The accounting stuff was, you know, more engineering minded kind of stuff. Uh, so I connected with it. But that stuff pays dividends. I, I still feel the benefit that as we're looking at, you know, our, our uh, business results as a company, and I understand all the terminology that's being used when we talk about EBITDA and we're talking about, you know, net revenue and all sorts of terminology that like people don't connect with. That's just one example, but, you know, starting to broaden yourself. So you have an, an understanding of the other disciplines in some way so you can relate to those people. Like I don't have a deep understanding of sales, um, but I need to know enough of that so that when I'm interacting with you know, our sales leader, you know, that I, I can have a, a reasonable conversation and we can kind of get aligned on each other. And if we're speaking different languages, that's hard to do. So that's probably the first thing. Um, and that's one of the things I coach, you know, especially my senior leaders are getting ready to kind of have to, to play a broader impact across the organization where they're not just looking at their domain and, you know, their product partners um, is, is that. Uh, and then the other thing is, is obviously communication. You know, you have to be open, honest, transparent communication, like trust, Trust at the senior leadership level is one of the most important things, I think, for a company to be successful. Uh, if you don't have good trust, you know, across the leadership teams, then that creates, you know, tension across those teams. And that permeates all the way through the organization very quickly. So uh, working to build that trust with people. And that's something we're very conscious about uh, to, trying to do as a leadership team. And then I found that when building trust, the one of the foundational elements of it is just saying you're going to do something, then doing it, and then communicating it back that it's done. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but for me, I found that that is almost like a formula for trust, right? If I say, hey, I'm going to do this, and then I go do it, and then I come back and I communicate that I did it, people now see me as the individual that I do what I say I'm going to do. I, I certainly agree with that. I think that's an important part. But I, I think it, it goes, another dimension to add to that, I think, is, uh, I, I've got to really know and understand, you know, our head of marketing. Like I've got to know and understand that like when he's, when he says something that not just that he's going to do it, but like that his intent is something that I am, you know, I, I get where it's coming from and I get that he's doing it for the best intentions for making Glassdoor successful. Um, and it's not, he's got some special agenda. Um, and I have that relationship with our head of marketing. Like, um, so I, I think it's, having a deep enough relationship to really understand that. So there isn't any level of suspicion. Like one of the things we talk about is that it's easy for you to, you know, create stories in your head that you may not even be conscious of or that you don't verbalize, but you start to create these stories of like, why is this guy asking for this one thing? And like, what is he doing? And if you kind of, you know, and, and so our challenge to ourselves is when you start to feel that story, ask, like, you know, be straightforward and ask that person like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm just want to make sure that this is why you're doing this or, um, and just be really open and transparent so that that creates that deep level of trust and that deep level of trust then kind of forms a foundation to then, you know, make sure that you, you, you make good decisions and there's never, you know, hidden agendas for people. I love it. That's an extra dimension that I think is 
beautiful. And I also really enjoyed how you said you took the other classes. I had heard once a story of a CEO taking a coding boot camp so that then he could then communicate with his CTO better. And I was like, that is brilliant, right? And then I went myself and started taking um, like purchasing sales courses to learn sales, taking marketing courses to learn and not like the old stuff either. I was taking like the recent stuff and it wasn't that I was doing it, but at least I learned the landscape, the terminology and some of the the core pillars of the areas of knowledge so that I could, you know, it's awesome when you're a CTO and, and your CFO can maybe ask you a question that's in your own domain, like with your own words, right? It makes you feel a little less alone, a little more connected. So Absolutely. I love it. What what are you most excited about at Glassdoor today? Like what's getting you out of bed in the morning? You know what I'm I'm most excited about honestly is uh kind of where this this acquisition has positioned us. Um I feel like you know we are two paths for Glassdoor and one of them was to be a public company and one of them was to be acquired and I think there's pros and cons to both but for us I feel personally that the acquisition was a really great uh outcome. Um as a step along the journey, because it is empowering us to not have to focus on necessarily just what are the results going to be next quarter that our shareholders and our public market is going to hold us accountable to, but what are the things that Glassware wants to deliver and accomplish over the next two, three, four, five years? Um, so it's allowing us, I think, to have more long-term thinking, which I think will then drive into a more innovative thinking and approach, which is certainly going to be a lot more fun for engineers and product managers at Glassware. So I'm, I'm really, really excited that you know this is the path that when we got acquired, I felt like that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why that was the path I was hoping for. Um, and I'm feeling like that's coming true. And I feel that. And then there's this other aspect, which is, you know, the partnership we have with our, our new sister company, Indeed. You know, it's really fun to sit across the table from someone that's been a competitor for a decade uh, and learn from each other and start exchanging ideas and see the opportunities of things that, you know, we can, at the very least, just exchanging ideas and, and you know, uh, to, to understand how we can both be stronger and better going forward. Um, so. Yeah, and, and combine your knowledge bases in order to take on a larger set of competition. Right? For sure. So if you were to able to go back and, and give yourself a piece of advice from your early days, like when you're back there at Motorola being a cog or feeling like you're a cog in the machine, what piece of advice would you give your previous self back then? One thing that I think I would give anyone so I'll broaden this I guess not just to myself I guess but it's kind of hard to think about like as I think about um, I have a conversation later today with some of the interns at Glassdoor um, and so these are things that are kind of top of mind for me that some of the things I'll be talking to them about is one is work hard uh, you know there is no substitute for hard work um, we're we have a, a lot of God-given talents and how you know our abilities and capabilities are but beyond that it's hard work that kind of allows you to kind of grow and to learn and to challenge yourself and to do all the things that I think kind of eventually get, get you to the path that you want to get to. Um, I believe in work-life balance, you know, I have a family and I, but I still find ways to kind of put enough energy into my work um, that allows me to be successful. And particularly, you know, early phase of a career, I feel like um, where everything is a learning opportunity. Uh, I think there's no substitute for hard work. Um, uh, uh, the second thing probably is to be humble. Uh, you know, you're, you don't know a lot of stuff and I don't know a lot of stuff. You know, I'm still constantly learning. And I, I think that, uh, and you're much, you're more open to learning and growing when you're humble. Um, you're more, and you're a better partner and collaborator with other people when you're humble. 
So I think uh, I think that's probably a second really important piece of advice. Um, and then the third one that I've kind of alerted to a whole bunch is just always be learning. Like there's no, you know, the world and, and one of the exciting things about being a technologist, I think, is that it's constantly changing. But to keep up, you know, you have to continue to advance yourself by learning and exposing yourself. Yeah, there was, I love that piece of advice too, because I was watching a talk the other day and the individual had, you know, a stadium full of people essentially, and, and they were all college graduates. And he asked how many of them since graduating have read a business book, like to raise their hand. And it was like virtually none of them. And the point that he was ultimately driving home was that we have this sort of subconscious idea that we go to school to learn and then we go out in the world to leverage that knowledge. And like the fact that there's this delineation between our time spent learning and our time spent earning, like you don't stop. Like that's just there. You're just learning assistedly for four years, (laughs) right? With some great content, some great teachers. Now you're prepared to go continue learning by your, you know, with yourself and with your team, with your organization for the rest of your life, because things will constantly be evolving and changing. Absolutely. Yeah, man, we did it. Ryan, we made a podcast, my friend. We made a podcast. We did it. Success. Did you enjoy it? It was fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, Joel. Excellent. And I just sincerely thank you for your time. And are you out in San Francisco? San Francisco, yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah, Yeah, so I'll be out there, I think, late September, meeting with some of the great guests from the show. So maybe if you're around, stop by and say hello. Happy to meet. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was nice meeting with you. Thank you so much, Ryan. You have a fantastic day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.